We're in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. I encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along with me, either on the screen or in your Bible as I read. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. That was a bit of a rush of a start, but hope you're doing well this morning. Welcome to church. Uh, it's good to have you here uh, today. Um, my name is Timothy. I serve as one of the uh, interns here at WDBC as a pastoral intern. And because I'm a pastoral intern, I get to preach, which is pretty fun. So I'm bringing you the message this morning. I think we're all a bit um, flat knowing... Uh, that we couldn't meet again this week. And I know me, uh, being an introvert, I was a bit flat thinking, ah, oh, I'm going to wait at least another week to see God's people. Um, I did, however, prepare myself to see hundreds of, of eyes just staring back at me because we're probably wearing masks. Uh, and it's a, it's a bit of a strange sight. I remember, I think it was this time last year when we were going through the same thing. There's just all these eyes staring at me because I was, I think I was doing the, the announcements or the prayer or something and just, it's just a real, it's a real strange experience. I find when everyone does wear a mask as well, it's, it's hard to communicate. Uh, we read body language and, and we're trying to figure out what these people are saying and what, like these, these, over these uh, last couple of weeks I've been getting put off when I'm at the shops, I'm walking around and I'm wearing my mask and the other person's wearing their mask and uh, I'm looking at a guy and he's looking at me and I'm thinking, is he going to punch me? Or is he smiling at me? I can't figure it out. These, these masks drive me crazy. And they also make it hard for us to, to identify someone. I'm sure you've been in a conversation when someone runs up to you, starts talking to you and you're like, your brain starts ticking away and your heart begins to race because you're trying to figure out, who's this person? I can't figure it out. And hopefully after a while your, your mind gives you the right answer, but in the moment your heart's just like pounding as you're trying to figure out who this person is before they figure out that you actually don't know who they are. But all masks aside, today our message revolves around this question of identity. And as we often scratch our heads trying to figure out who a person is with or without a mask, today we see the disciples um, sitting in a boat in fear and wonder, thinking to themselves, who is this Jesus guy? Who is he? Who is he? Who is this? Who is this Jesus guy? 
I want you to start thinking about this question this morning. It's one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves as Christians, or even non-Christians. And I think if we were to go around the room, although many of you are not here today, but if I was to go around to your houses and ask you this question, who is Jesus? We might get a range of different responses to that question, or different ideas about who he is. So just in a moment, I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this question. And I want you to either write it down or or save it in uh, the memory slot. Because we're going to come back to this question later on in the sermon. So I want you to write down the first thing you think of. Ready? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Got your answer? Need a few more seconds? All right, let's proceed. For those that love that boring stuff called context, I'm going to give you some uh, this morning uh, as we make our way through uh, Luke, uh, chapter 20, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. I'm going to give you a, a bit of background of what's happening. Luke is an orderly man. He likes his boxes. He's setting up for us an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry. And he's really setting us up for this question about identity. He's really setting us up for this question this morning is of who is Jesus? And as Luke does this, um, Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus, sorry, throughout this, throughout the gospel so far, he's been fulfilling the, the, the Isaiah passage that he quoted about himself back in chapter 4. And if you don't remember, I'll quickly read it for you now. It says, this is back in chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight of the blind. He's to, uh, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if we've, we've followed on from what Jesus has been doing since that point, we see him do all sorts of healings and teachings and, and casting out demons and all these types of things and proclaiming the good news. And essentially, Jesus, what he's doing in these, from this early period on is he's calling out for faith. He's seeing who believes in him. He's seeing who accepts this good news. And we've seen Jesus especially look at for faith among his own people. But as we've seen over the last couple of weeks through Jonathan and through Stephen, those that should have faith in Jesus, like the Pharisees, don't. And those that shouldn't really have faith at all in Jesus, like the centurion, do. It's a strange ride for, for people. Things, things are happening that don't normally happen. People are getting caught off guard. And this is all part of Jesus' uh, kingdom, he, he's turning it upside down in a sense. And this morning we're going to see Jesus pretty much remove his surgical mask and he's going to let the disciples start to put all these pieces together. Thus I think it's important to mention just one more thing before we go on that earlier in, in chapter 8 verse 18 Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. We, like the disciples, need to listen closely to Jesus because he's going to start to turn it up a little bit here. 
And if we haven't been paying attention, we're at risk of, of like Judas Iscariot and many others, of missing Jesus' identity. If we start, sorry, if we fail to start to see Jesus for who he is, we might get stuck in our own ignorance. With the context out of the way, I think it's time that we should pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning, Lord, and yeah, even though our lives seem like chaos and, and there's uncertainty and all these things, Lord, would we put them aside and, and focus on you this morning? Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, help us to see who you really are. Lord, we want to know the truth about you and your son. pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I said, again, Luke is, is setting up for us the, the big question. Who is Jesus? And what power does Jesus' words have? Let's look at verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Luke begins the narrative this morning by setting the scene for us. Luke states that one day, presumably after Jesus had just finished his preaching on the kingdom parables, he says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. What lake, you might ask? Well, Luke doesn't really give us this information up front, nor does he tell us why he needs to get in the boat in the first place. This is because the time and the place, as we'll come to see, even the storm, is not really the, the, the main focus of the story. Luke is not focusing on the landscapes and the background noise. He's trying to get us to focus on the disciples and Jesus. If you were to read ahead in verse 26, Luke does give us some background information of where Jesus is going and what he's doing. But for now, this is not the focus point of the story. And I think often as we read the scriptures, we all appreciate a little bit more detail. Uh, as authors don't always give us these, these added uh, details of what's going on. And, you know, I think we always go, ah, you know, it would have been great if I knew what happened to Joe Bloggs back in that part of the passage or you know, what happened over here and what happened to that person who got healed and you know, we'd love to find out all these little details but unfortunately the, the, the author doesn't give us these details. And I think it's probably be because uh, of, of a good reason, that being that if we had all these details we might miss the focus point of what the writer is trying to tell us. There's something important with the words that they leave out. So notice, Luke's lack of information or detail is not to annoy us as readers. It's a sign for us to look at what's important here. And if you haven't picked it up already, what's important here is Jesus' words. That's, that's what the narrative is giving weight to. It's his words. And Luke is hinting at, at, to us that maybe this Jesus guy, maybe what he says, maybe there's something amazing about him and the things that he says. And if you were reading Luke's gospel in one big chunk, from chapter one to now, you know that when Jesus speaks, amazing things happen. It was only back in chapter seven, a dead man was raised to life. 
Luke is highlighting for us that Jesus' words really mean something. And as we'll come to see, Jesus' words are, are truthful. They're trustworthy. Jesus' words have authority. What Jesus says goes. If we read this gospel up until this point, we might be uh, getting the hint. We might be asking ourselves this question. Are Jesus' words God's words? Are Jesus' words like God's? Now this question might be a stretch uh, if we were to take this verse on, a, on its own, but we've got to remember chapters and verses, they don't really exist. And if we're reading this narrative or the account that it is, uh, this question, are Jesus' words God's words, might be a valid question we need to start asking ourselves. But for now, verse 22 doesn't give us the answer. We need to keep reading to find out. Let's look at verse uh, 23. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. As the group sail off to reach the other side, we get this picture of Jesus basically just falling asleep. And I think Jesus is probably having one of those moments when pretty much your head hits the pillow, it's, it's lights out. And rightly so, he'd been traveling around from town to town. You know, he's been healing people, teaching people, doing all types of stuff, which would be very tiring. And in short, this little description gives us a, uh, a point or, or highlights that, uh, highlights Jesus' humanness, if that's even a word. This picture of a sleeping Jesus gives us a little hint of, of, the, of the important doctrine of Jesus' humanity. But Luke is he's not focusing on that point for now. Rather, we're going to get introduced to the problem that is at hand. The drama of the narrative is about to quickly unfold. A squall or a huge windstorm comes blowing uh, down and across the lake, which creates big, uh, big waves. Luke next tells us that the boat is beginning to be swamped, and it's turning into a, a, quick, uh, a scary sight. And if you've been in a boat before and you've experienced bad weather, you can probably relate to what's going on here. Uh, and if you've been caught outside, like the disciples have, you might be uh, in the boat thinking to your passengers, yeah, maybe we should put on our life vests. It's getting a bit scary. You can feel here in the story the anxiety and, and the stresses begin to heighten. And Luke tells us that the, the disciples, they're literally in danger. So what do the disciples do? Let's look at verse 24. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. The disciples are full of fear. They're starting to panic. They're thinking that this is the end for them. They've seemingly lost all control of the boat and you can almost feel the terrorists start to take hold as water begins to spill over the sides. Now, this storm must have been a doozy because you have four of the disciples who are seasoned fishermen thinking that they're going to perish. They've, they've no doubt seen storms before when they're on the boat because they, they were fishermen. Yet all the disciples think that they're going to perish. 
I can imagine one of them, you know, tripping, tripping over the fishing net, trying to reach Jesus, who's still asleep at that point. You know, maybe grabbing his shirt, saying, "You know, Master, Master, wake up! We're going to drown." You can just see and, and feel the fear in the disciples. It's consuming them. They cannot control their circumstances. They are helpless. They are at the mercy of the storm. And it shows us as readers that in moments of chaos, in this moment of chaos, the disciples haven't really given much weight to Jesus' previous words. We can see here that fear can and does consume those without faith in Jesus. Fear can trump faith. Fear can trump faith. If the disciples had faith in Jesus' previous uh, words, this story might be a whole lot different. This short bit of text highlights for us once again that, that there's something special in what Jesus says. And we're about to see that's absolutely true. In the panic, in all the commotion that's happening, waves crashing over the boat, you know, wind going 100 miles an hour, Jesus gets up in verse 24. And says, oh, and sorry, and rebukes the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsides and all was calm. Just like that, everything is back to normal. The wind and the waves are gone. All is now calm. Notice all Jesus had to do was speak. All Jesus did was rebuke the storm. All Jesus did was speak and creation obeyed. Jesus speaks, creation obeys. He didn't have to pray, he didn't have to ask for help at all. He just simply spoke. Now tell me, who does that sound like to you? Who else can do such things? How can Jesus have so much power? Who else can speak to the wind and waves and they obey? Who else can simply say to creation, stop, and it does? How does Jesus have this authority? Doesn't God alone have this type of power? Who does this sound like to you? All Jesus did was speak. And creation obeyed. Now Jesus is going to ask an important question in verse 25. I'll read it for you. Verse 25 says, Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Jesus' words to the disciples is, you know, Where is your faith? Where's your faith? In Luke's gospel, Jesus is seemingly asking this question in a nice and loving way. If you read the other accounts, Jesus is a bit more mean. But in this account, he's a bit nicer. He's basically saying to the guys, Guys, why are you so frightened? Don't you know who's with you? Do you not yet trust me, guys? The disciples' reaction to these events kind of match the parable that we just read about the parable of the sower. In particular, verse 13, 
uh, the disciples reflect that those that believe for a while yet fall away in times of testing. It's funny how that's so close. And why are we sitting there thinking, oh man, disciples, you guys straight up hopeless. We can often get frustrated with them. I get frustrated with them. But can I suggest that they're a lot like us in, in many ways? I think we all need a reminder that, that faith and discipleship, it's a process. Discipleship is a challenge. The call to follow Christ, as we've come to see, is, has testings. Those that have been a Christian for a while know this. They've experienced this. Not only is a daily walk with the Lord and discipleship a challenge, but it's harder and more complex than responding to Jesus with one uh, miraculous encounter. It's clear that the disciples' faith is in its early development. It's just being formed. And the question is, will the disciples continue to grow in their faith? Will it be proven to be useful next time there's trouble? Will the disciples get it right next time? Because the only thing they've gotten, they've got right in this whole story so far is the fact that they've run to Jesus for help. That's the only thing they've done right so far. The disciples' fear and the disciples' reaction and, and their amazement have left them asking, you know, who is this? Which indicates that they've yet to fully grasp Jesus' identity, his true identity. They've not yet understood what their eyes have seen. And the disciples join a long list of people who are asking this same question, who is Jesus? We'll come to see throughout this, this chapter and, and beyond in chapter 9, Herod would ask the same question, who's Jesus? Everybody's asking this, this question. Now I want you to think back to the beginning of the sermon when I first asked you, who is he? Can you remember your answer? Look at your note or think back in, in, in your noggin. Who is he? That answer, I want you to just park it to the side for now. Pick it up and park it to the side. You see, this morning, I haven't given you a direct answer to this question, and neither has Luke. Each man and woman here needs to, to figure out this question on their own. They need to wrestle with it. I want you to answer this question again, but now in light of what God may have revealed to you. Jesus has taken off his mask so you can put the pieces together. So I want to ask you, who do you honestly think Jesus is? What is Jesus' true identity? Who is he? Think carefully. Don't just brush it off or, or pull out some Sunday school answer that you don't actually believe in. Be honest with yourself. That's all I'm asking of you this morning, is that you'll be honest with yourself. As you think maybe about this, this new answer that you might have, I want you to uh, again write it down and cross out the old one, or if you've been thinking about it, Chuck out that old one, scoot it off to the side. Or maybe you need more time to think about it, that's okay. 
It is my prayer this morning that the Lord would reveal to you the truth about Jesus' identity. And that you would respond to this truth accordingly. Because this morning we've seen that, that fear can trump faith. But Jesus' words have more power and authority. And so we, we don't need to fear. We've seen this morning that when Jesus speaks, creation obeys. And if creation obeys Jesus' words, then shouldn't we? This text has shown us that Jesus' words are trustworthy, they're true. Surely if he can control the forces of nature, he can also forgive sins. He can grant eternal life. Surely the things that Jesus has spoken about the kingdom must be true. Surely if we live by Jesus' words, we'd be walking in the truth. So this morning... Ask God for the truth on Jesus' identity and respond to it. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for another day. Lord, that you reign. And Lord, even though we might not fully grasp your identity, uh, Lord, would you reveal it to us? Lord, help us to see that we ought not to, to fear, Lord, that you have the power and the authority over the wind and the, and the waves and, and the water, Lord. Lord, help us to see um, you in, in the correct light. And Lord, would we, uh, as your people, respond to it? Lord, help us to, to brush off any pre-existing ideas or, or thoughts. Lord, would you just yeah, point to our hearts, Lord, and and, and show us the truth. Lord, it's only you who can convince us of Jesus' true identity. And Lord, so it's, it's, it's my prayer that uh, you would be gracious uh, and loving and kind and, and you would grant this for us. Lord, thank you for your son and the sacrifices that he made on our behalf. Lord, that we can come to you with, with our questions Lord, we can come to you uh, with things like this. And Lord, um, we can find answers in you. Lord, we pray for this week ahead. Lord, if we need to wrestle with this more, Lord, would you continue to help us wrestle with it? I just pray this in your name. Amen.